how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley. And I have a very special guest with me on today. I have Paul Statham. Paul is a founder and CEO of Condeco Software. Uh, Condeco Software is a leader in workspace management and resource scheduling software. They've won a Stevie Award in 2021 for the most valuable technical innovation to help address the post-COVID workplace. Some really wild things. They're about $100 million in revenue and grew from $60 million to $100 million in 18 months. Paul, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation before we started. So I want to bring everyone up to speed on where you're at in terms of your journey. I know I gave a quick teaser to it, but share this with me. So I'm going to do a quick revenue rundown. So where are you at in terms of ARR? We're now uh, just this year, we're going to be reporting just, uh, just around the 100 mark, 100 million mark. Fantastic. And... Um, you know, we, we just we just spoke about this briefly, but what what were your jumps from, you know, how long did it take you to get to 10? How long did it take you to get to 60? And then how long did it take you to get to 100? Because this is fascinating. Yeah, it's an interesting story. We launched uh, the Condeco product back in 2005, uh, and it took us about 10 years to get to 10 million uh, of revenue, which is always that struggle when you're bootstrapped. Then we took on our first Series A investment, and we, over the five years, got that up to the 60 mark. Uh, and then last year, we uh, our, our, our initial Series A exited, and we took on uh, a significant investment from Tom Bravo. And in the in the the, the last year, uh, through to the end of this year, we'll accelerate to 100. So yeah, it's 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 amazing how quickly with uh, the financial clout plus the product acceleration, how you can scale good technology businesses, and it's 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 a great ride. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. So we're definitely going to dig into that. What's your primary go to market? Uh, we tend to work on the enterprise space. Uh, we work through the traditional route of uh, we're, we're well known, we're market leaders. So we have a traditional sales and marketing org that runs around uh, the world. We've got about 50 quota carriers that operate through uh, five or six, six offices around, uh, as I say, around the world. Uh, and what we basically do is work with uh, the enterprise clients to right-size their, their, their workspace scheduling. Uh, it's a very complex task, getting people into offices uh, and in the right space, getting the right amount of space that you need, uh, understanding the capacity. It, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's, it's a fine uh, technical art to make it happen. And unfortunately, we've got the product to make it uh, work. Yeah, I, I would I would say so with that type of growth. So I know you mentioned you have about 50 quota carriers. How large is your team? The whole team is about just over 500, 550 people around the world. Uh, and we have in-house engineering. I've uh, got a great engineering team uh, in India, which we've built up to around just under the 200 mark, uh, who have been nailing it for many years. Uh, great, great guys. Uh, about 100 people in the sales org. 100 people in the customer org, and then you've got the marketing and finance and all the rest of it. Okay. And then you, can you give us just a little bit, I know you mentioned high level on your solution. Can you give us the primary problem that it solves? 
Yeah, the primary problem is people uh, coming into uh, a workspace want to find the best place to, that they can work and be productive. They want to find their colleagues. They want to book scheduling uh, for conference rooms. They want to find quiet space. They want to find breakout space. They want the services that go with that space to be available when they need them. And that's a, a whole Rubik's Cube of life of, of trying to work out, you know, when you're talking about customers that have got 100,000 employees and maybe yeah, a few hundred, if not a few thousand locations, getting that right-sized even before the pandemic was, was a real challenge. You know, you, you probably have been in many buildings where people will moan about you can never find a, a meeting space in this building uh, or you can never find a colleague in this building if you're working flexibly. And we make, com- we make sense of, of what is uh, quite a complex problem. Uh, and you mentioned the pandemic. I think when you went into the, the challenges, obviously during the pandemic, we uh, pivoted the product slightly to move into uh, additional security for getting people into work in a very safe environment. And it was one of the things that uh, we was, was noted on the award is that we were getting people back into offices within the, the guidelines mm. of uh, the requirements during that time. But subsequently, when offices aren't as busy as they were, putting technology in place to make sure that when you come in, you can find your colleagues and your colleagues are available to communicate with you has become one of the biggest business challenges uh, of the post-pandemic era. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Um, are you doing, is this just physical office space or are you doing it virtually as well? No, we do do physical office. We don't just do uh, uh, tenant-owned space, company-owned space. We would do third space. So if you want to go and book a WeWork or you want to go and book a, a, okay. a, a, another property, you can do that in the system. You can mark that you're working remotely so that your colleagues won't try and find you. You can set up a team so that when you do come into the office, your colleagues are notified that, that you're in. So they may or may not want to come in, depending whether you're liked or not. Uh, so the principle of, 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 of one of the big challenges, in, as I say, in the post-pandemic world is how do you bring uh, people back together to collaborate again and to, to interact and to learn? Um, we spend a lot of time behind video uh, conferencing uh, and it's taken some of the culture out of businesses. And I think that's, we're hearing this from, uh, again, another interesting fact is probably you know, back in 2019, we were talking to facilities managers um, and real estate owners and operators. We're now talking to HR teams. We're talking to C-suite. We're talking to the, the senior players to help solve a business critical issue as opposed to just managing property. So the employee centric, you know, the employee is now at the, the, the center of, you know, how do we operate our buildings? It's not about operating a building anymore. It's about operating a space that people want to come into and actually collaborate in. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So let's, let's go back to that. Cause I know you mentioned that you're, you were bootstrapped to 10 million and then funded. So I definitely want to get into the, the, the problems that your, your solution solves. Cause I see just mountains and piles of problems, especially with everything that's happened. And so, you know, I guess like, obviously I know if you're bootstrapped or funded, but walk me through the journey and, and this will kind of get into your story of like, okay, it took you 10 years to get to 10 million. You know, why did you decide to bootstrap and, and, and do it that way to, to get to 10 million? Uh, my, I've always... I left school at 16, set up my own business, um, uh, built that uh, in electronic security, had a really cool product that was unique in that space. 
built that up uh, to a multi-million dollar business and exited that um, with a sizable chunk of change um, uh, and then reinvested that into into software technology and software development. And so bootstrapping came with a fairly big uh, seed funding. You know, we, we, we pumped, I think, a million and a half dollars into the bank account to get going, which we were fortunate on. It's fortunate it's, we'd earned it, but we had it. We didn't need to go and raise seed funding. But we, we, we had a great product idea. We'd been consulting in the space for a while around scheduling uh, and how you can schedule at enterprise scale. There were lots of small scheduling localized uh, applications, but enterprise scale, as you, you, I'm sure you know, is, is, is a different, uh, a whole different uh, world. So we built an enterprise scale that would go to 100,000 desks and 200,000 people um, in multiple languages, in multiple time zones, which in 2005 was, was, was quite going, you know, it, it, was, it was quite a, it was out there. It was totally off the charts. We launched it, interesting story. We launched it in the spring of 2005. Uh, no references, no customers, no one using it. And we were launching it to enterprise who naturally are skeptical about products that have just come to market. Didn't sell a product until the summer of 2005, which was a bit of a, bit of a nail biting moment. Closed our first deal uh, in September. September the 2nd, I can tell you to this day, 2005, we sold our first system uh, to a law firm in London. They loved it, um, became a reference site for us. Next site I think we closed was Diageo, did a global deal. Next one was Barclays, did a wow. global deal. Next one was Shell, did a global deal. So suddenly the, the reference ability went off the charts and the product was just, you know, we, 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 we you know, invented alchemy. We were making uh, what was an impossible problem of finding space on, a, on an enterprise scale possible for individuals as well as managed or self-managed it was, a, it was a, a cool journey, but bootstrapped. You know, you're focused on your own problems. You know, you 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 don't you, you sometimes don't just see the scale at which you can grow to. We we dominated the UK space quite quickly. We set off in the UK. We then moved uh, into um, the the European and Asia space, and eventually moved into the US. Um, uh, and that the US is the most difficult. Uh, market to break when you're not an, an American-based business mm-hmm. to start with, um, which is why I now live in the US. Because if you want to make America work, you, you've got to be you've got to be based over here. Uh, you just realise how how amazing the market is. Um, but it was it was it was it was it was enjoyable. And when you're growing, you know, at a sizable rate, you know, growing to ten million, and you look, I look back now, and it's like, oh, it's only ten million. But you know, ten million is. Uh, uh, a heck of a lot of money to be growing at when you're running it yourself and you own it yourself with a few early founding uh, 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 employees. We had a great team. We were running 30, 40, 50 people. Um, really enjoyable. Best moments. You know, boot, bootstrap businesses with the 30 people that you know, like, and trust. Uh, you know, you win together, you lose together. It was a great moment. But then we knew we had to scale. We wanted to buy a couple of businesses. There was one in Germany, one in America. We were moving entirely to the cloud and to SaaS. Therefore, we needed to fund that that movement from perpetual license and on-prem into cloud and SaaS, both product-wise and the SaaS curve is brutal. Um, I think most people now start off in SaaS, but if you didn't, anyone that's been through the SaaS curve will will tell you it's a brutal moment when you give up the the, the great seller sell piece of software for two hundred thousand dollars and just bank it uh, and live off that until the next one. 
was a great thing. When you sell a $200,000 software and you're now selling it for $5,000 a month, uh, that, that kind of hurts, as you well know. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we went out and raised some money with uh, Highland Europe, uh, great uh, business uh, for, for that size of, of business, um, pumped in $15 million um, and, and allowed me and, and, and my, my executive team to really spread our wings, to take a few bets that we wouldn't be able to bet on, uh, buy these two businesses, really focus on scale and the cloud. And we nailed it. We 5X their investment uh, in five years. Uh, they, they expected four. They asked for three. I said we'd give them four and we gave them five and we're still very good friends with the guys there. Um, and uh, so we parted company and, and, and Tomo Bravo uh, took over the reins as principal investor uh, in the business. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a great story. So how, do, how long did it take you going back? How long did it take you go from zero to one? Oh, that's a cool wow. that's Now you are going back. Uh, zero to one probably took us the first through, probably took us the first three years to get from zero to yeah. one. Uh, okay. It took us to get to, to, to revenue. It took us six months. So, you know, that's the problem. And, you know, we've been pumping money in for, uh, for a year beforehand. So it took us 18. So we, we go minus one, if you like, from launch. Um, it took us 18 months to get to revenue and probably the best part of a million plus dollars. Um, and that first, I think the, the, the first license, I think, was about $30,000. And it, that was the sweetest $30,000 I've ever earned in my life. It was, it was great. Yeah, that's okay. So that's, that's fantastic. And like, I, you know, the, the cool thing is at that point, you, you did it before. But uh, when you're going through that, let's say that that eight, 18 month period, or actually the, the three years to get to a million, did you did you did you doubt yourself? Did you have a hard time believing sometimes seeing the path where you think things would take off? And like, what was it like emotionally going through that? Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I'm, you probably would have guessed I'm a pint half full sort of person. So I, I, <laughs> I, not a lot bothers me. Um, it, it's, but it was an interesting moment, a, a quick story of my, my, my currency, my CMO, who was started as our marketing head of marketing, uh, a lady called Linda Lowe, um, sat down with her and she said, look, Paul, I don't think this market's ready for, for, for where we're going. I think, you know, the maximum we can ever look to get is, is five, you know, 5,000 a month of sales would be off the chart. And I said, to her, <laughs> we can do that a day within a year. Right. Uh, and she said, really? I said, yeah, let, let, let's, let's, let's go for it because it's out there. And this was in the early days. And within a year, we were, we, we were, we were, we were doing that and some. And so I think you do doubt yourself and you do think, you know, the first order is the nicest. And then once large companies, enterprise companies, uh, lean into you and use your product and you see the change and then they feed back, feedback about how you can improve your product. You know, we now call it customer success when you're bootstrapped and you're five or 10 people, you know, that's just customers telling you what didn't work or, or, or what did work. Um, you know, we give it names now. Uh, but talking to the customers, our first, our first 50 customers helped us build the best product on the planet because they were the biggest companies on the planet. You know, when, when, as I say, companies like Shell and Standard Chartered, uh, Diageo or NBC tell you that things should go slightly differently and it would help if you just tweaked it here and tweaked it there. You know, uh, you, you, you listen. Uh, our head of product now, our CPO now, Peter Otto, 
again, one of the founders who started in the business from the get-go, you know, great guy who's got a really good feel for the feedback that we get from customers. And we take that feedback and we immediately roll it into the roadmap and we scale. So, you know, our, our customers are, are what made us great uh, and what made the product what it is today. I can see that. Definitely. I mean, that's top 50 customers. That's huge. And it's really interesting that you went from a law firm to Fortune 1000 company. You know, made, that's a pretty big jump. Mm. Uh, really big jump, as a matter of fact. So uh, the thing that's that's interesting, too, is like, I mean, because we went through that when we got Amazon as a customer. You know, they were our biggest customer, Whole Foods, Amazon, right? And where the, the really awesome thing about making those big jumps is those customers will push you to grow and they'll give you the exact like template and roadmap that other people want. They just haven't been able to explain it, right? So it, it allows you to make leaps and jumps ahead of where you're at. At least that's what I've experienced. Would you say the same thing? 100%. Yeah. They'll tell you where you need to be. They'll tell you what you need to be. They'll tell you how you need to act. And, you know, that's how you learn and grow. And, and in, in another war story, Diageo came to us and said, look, we, we're opening a new office in Sydney. We need your product. It's, it, it's not out there at the moment. So you need to, you need to, to, to look after APAC. So I spoke to one of our engineers at the time, who's still with us, um, a guy called Tom Chambers, and said, Tom, yeah, he was only a youngster in his early 20s. So I need you to go to Australia. He said, how long for? I said, I don't know, as long as it takes. I <laughs> said, so, yeah, all right, boss, I'll do it. Jumped on a plane, went, worked with the guys in Sydney, built the business, then stayed, set up our APAC office, stayed out there for eight years. He's now our <laughs> VP of sales in, in, in the UK. So, you know, these are the, these are the stories that just uh, the culture of a business. Uh, and interestingly, Diageo is still a client. Barclays is still a client. The law firm, Smith & Williamson. Uh, accountancy firm, sorry, is still a client. Um, these these are still clients of us 15 years on, um, and, and they're still the, the, the rock that builds Barclays, as, as I mentioned, still out there globally booking thousands, if not millions of, 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 of bookings a year through the Condeco system. So now that you've worked with really large enterprise companies, what's the number one thing that led your organization to constantly acquire Fortune 1000 customers? I, I think the, the, the technology that you, you know, understanding their pain and making sure your technolo- technology answers that pain um, it has been why our customers come to us. Um, putting why we're different from, from real estate companies and IWS systems and other uh, uh, people in the space and why we've grown, um, particularly during COVID at such a rate, um, is that we put the employee at the centre of everything that we do. We make sure, you know, we, we, we obviously have a respectful for our clients and who pay our bills, but it's their employees that use our product. And if their employees need to find a desk, find their colleagues, book a space and do that multiple times every day, it's, it's, we've got to make sure they can do that in a safe and controlled environment. We provide the certainty for those employees that when they come to the office that they've got a space. And nowadays when, when allocated desking is now a thing of the past, you know, having that employee certainty is a real boost for our customers. So our customers understand that by us not, you know, we obviously care about what our customers think and do, but by thinking how their employees getting down below, so we do customer plus one. Now what do our employee, their employees think about? It changes the way that our product team think and our customer team think. Uh, and it really helps drive us to be unique in our space. And I've never heard that 
customer plus one. So what you mean by that is basically like instead of just looking at it as the general customer, also getting down to the individual level of the people yes. to understand their true needs. Yeah, customer's customer, which is yeah. what you probably call it. It's customer. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, what you would call it in a normal sales term is customer, customer. And it's like, yeah, it says the customer. Okay, plus customer plus. I like customer plus one better, man. Yeah, well, there Maybe. you go. It's, it's, yeah, it's an internal term. I haven't patented it, so you can't use it. So. <laughs> You're a friend of the pod, so we won't we won't take any uh, patentable items from you, Paul. We'll, we'll leverage it, and if we do, we'll footnote that Paul mentioned it in episode. I don't know, 170 plus uh, <laughs> of the, the show. So, <laughs> um, so okay. So a lot, a lot of questions are coming in my head as we're, we're going through this. So really good things. How about like, so growing from, let's say 10 to 60 million, like what did you need to do from a revenue perspective to make that happen? Like when I say revenue, don't like, and I'm not going to make on this, but don't save the product, right? Just like, what did you need to do on the sales and marketing side to go from 10 to, to 60? Yeah, we had to scale. Um, we had to scale the whole team. You know, you can't, you have to bring in line management. You have to bring in, you know, and it, it is, it's difficult, you know, to, 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 to let go and have to pass down responsibilities to, to, to different uh, uh, leaders. But we had to build a strong C-suite. Uh, we had to build a strong uh, finance team, strong marketing team, um, and you had to build a sales squad. Uh, you know, selling is a is an art form, and we brought in um, a, a, a CSO who then brought in the, the sales VPs, and we did bring in some. We promoted a lot from within because a lot of people you need that, but there was also you do need to bring people in to help you scale, um, and so making sure you've got capacity to manage inbound. Uh, which is, is, is always difficult scaling. Um, but then once you've done that, making sure that the inbound is coming in enough so you need to keep pumping into marketing. And, and you know this, this is selling. But it, it, it is, it, it's one of the most challenging parts of, of, of keeping the customer feedback, not getting ahead of yourself. And I think, and having enough faith, and, and interesting when we were with Highland uh, funding us, you know, the, the board meetings, the first few board meetings are always, always the most challenging when you've just got taken on investment. But they, they were always taught, how can we help you? How can we help you? And it was like, okay, let's, we want to scale. So they helped pick the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, we swapped out our CFO. They said, look, you know, to get to the next level, you've got a, a, a zero to 10 million CFO. And they brought us in a CFO that could take us to 100 million, um, uh, who's obviously still with us today. Wow. Um and they, they brought in the right leadership controls, which is good. And that they really did act as um, a, a, a help and support for, for, for me. I was able to bounce ideas off them uh, and they helped me scale and then scale my team. And it, it, it cascades down from there. Um, yeah. But we also grew internationally. You know, there was, the UK was, was our primary focus because that's where we started the business. Uh, we bought company in the US, which helped us here. We bought a company in Germany, which really helped us scale into Europe because that's never an easy place to get with languages and culture. Um, and our clients, interestingly, took us into APAC. So um, the customers, because they're so large, want you to be multinational yourself. So us opening offices, which is expensive, you know, it's, it's, it's never easy opening uh, remote offices. Uh, but that was the, the the catalyst, if you like, our customers saying, "Look, you know, we need you in. We need you to. We need to buy from you in other places." That's mm-hmm. the catalyst for you to say, "Look, we need more money to." Uh, and you know, we, we burnt 
you know, a lot of money growing that sales org and growing that, that company. Uh, unfortunately, managed to scale to the fact that obviously we're now profitable. Uh, but but that, that, that dip where you're, you know, you're bootstrapped and you have to be profitable because uh, you, you just have to. Then your Series A where for the first time in my life since I was 16, I was losing money uh, and not posting profits uh, 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 at the end of the year. That's that's probably the most nerve-wracking time when you know I, I'm not a, you know a, 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 an entrepreneur that's used to going to a VC and taking loads of money and burning through it. You know, I, I take every dollar like it's my own. Um, and so when you take on funding, I think you have to just just sometimes you know allow that to happen. And they coached us through the fact that we expect this to happen. We expect you to burn some cash. Uh, and as I say, they 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 got got a great return for it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh so what would you say is like, cause that's one of usually the, the, the hardest things that I've seen organizations struggle with is scaling an enterprise sales motion. So what was your single biggest challenge when you were, when you're doing that right now in terms of scaling an enterprise sales motion? It's getting all of the parts of the business to work simultaneously so that you, you scale together. Um, you know, unfortunately you tend to focus as, as leadership teams, you tend to focus on, on one thing at a time, building a product when you're, when you're getting going, then selling it, um, uh, and you put all your energy into selling it and then you end up scaling it and then you end up so employing people. Then you go back and have to rework the product, pay back some of that technical debt. Then you've got that technical debt repaid and you've got to go and sell it again to be. So you go through these cycles and companies go through cycles. And I don't think it's just us. I've talked to many CEOs and, and everyone has the same challenge. Um, and I think constantly, as I class it as spinning the plates, um, you know, making sure you put enough energy into each team that no one gets left behind. Uh, and, and that hence the word team. You know, you've got to make sure that everyone is, you know, feels that they've got enough focus and investment from uh, the board and from the C-suite to scale themselves and move forward. And empowerment, you know, you've got to allow people, you know, we don't, I, I'm, I'm not a, mic, a micromanager, you know, you've got to let people just do it and see what happens. So empowering people and not, uh, and, and expecting sometimes things won't work right. Um, and when they don't work, just fix it. Don't moan about it. Don't bang the desks. Just fix it. You know, it's pivot, make changes, take risks. You know, I'm a great believer in take a risk and pivot. If it doesn't work, don't sit and, and navel gaze about it forever. You won't get anywhere with it. You know, let's just jump in, you know, controlled risk, give it a go. If it's not working, change. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying that didn't work. Uh, you know, we wouldn't get anywhere in life if everything was proven before we did it. So that take a risk, get ready to pivot. You know, always have a plan B. Great. Now, these are all standard stuff, but it's really important. Always have a plan B. And if you can have a plan C, because, you know, things come from left field and you think, wow, I wasn't expecting that. You know, when, when COVID hit, we weren't, we didn't have a plan for COVID, but, you know, we'd been doing hoteling for a long time. Uh, but probably only 10% of our, our market was, was investing in the hoteling market. 80, 90, 80, 80, 20 was, was, was towards conferencing. We knew we were strong in hoteling, but it wasn't a huge need because most people had allocated desking. But suddenly we sat down with, with the product team and the sales team, and in fact, the board got involved in this and, and said, look, you know, I said, look, guys, hoteling is going to be taking over. People are coming back. They're not worried about meeting rooms at the moment. They're worried about getting back in. So we took six to eight weeks to pivot our, our whole approach and repurpose. Didn't change the product. Product was always doing it, but repurposed the approach 
So look, guys, if you're coming back in, make sure that you book a desk before you come back so that we can make sure it's clean, et cetera, et cetera. So that pivot is, is you know, even when you're at scale at 60 million, 80 million, being able to make quick changes and the team below you are able to understand and have faith that that change may sound a bit sort of screwy, but give it a go because there's probably some logic there. Um, that's probably been the, the most, and that's that's the fun moments, if you like, of even at scale being able to to make to to, to bring about innovation and change uh, through a little bit of taking risk. And no one makes innovation and change without taking some risk. Right. That's yeah. I, I, a lot of. I'm, I'm going to have to re-listen to that. A lot of gold you just dropped right there. Diamonds, whatever you want to call it, but some yeah. good stuff right there. And, you know, we did that one time where we we basically, once we moved up market into the enterprise space and started getting bigger and big, bigger deals, we just refined our messaging and tweaked a few things and um, the market responded really, really well to it. And so then we just leaned into that even more and then just poured gas on the fire and then just kept growing and growing and growing. So... I could totally see what you're talking about and you're leveraging the trend of what's happening with the market. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so what, well, Paul, what would you say is like the number one thing that, that you think you're amazing at that you could give advice for in terms of growing someone who's trying to grow their company, whether they're in that initial bootstrap phase or whether they're, they're approaching where you're at now, what's, what's the number one single best thing you could give them in terms of advice and growing revenue? Wow. Uh, I think to always be ready to listen to the market and the customers and to innovate to what they want. Um, I think that's probably been my strong point throughout my entire working life. Um, uh, and the, the, the market will always tell you what it wants. Making sure you deliver what it wants and then exceeding expectations is the art form. And being able to technically deliver, you know, on, on, you know, listening, finding out what, what the problems are and then answering those problems are the, from a product company are the best ways of, of, of making that happen. It's something we're really good at, um, uh, at Condeco. And I do think that taking limited risks is something I'm really good at. Uh, and I think that probably comes from never actually having a job, uh, never being on a job interview or go, I had to actually, I've never reported to anyone apart from myself. So taking risks are easy when they you know, you've only, I, I have to put my head on my pillow and answer to myself. And I can be quite a stern taskmaster at times, but taking risks, you know, calculated risks, because that's how you can scale quicker um, is probably what I would say is my, um, my specialism. Uh, and I, that, that doesn't probably bode well for uh, my, 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 uh, my fellow board, but I think they understand what I mean by that. I, I, we take calculated risks and we, we lean into them and we make sure they turn into successes. So what's your mental model for that though? Like, how do you evaluate it? Is there like, three, four, five steps that you take when you're looking at like, okay, like what's the opportunity? What's, what's the problems it's going to create? What's the outcomes? Like, how do you kind of walk through that? Like in a real quick, concise way. Otherwise, I mean, I could talk with you about this for yeah, hours, yeah. but I know we don't have that time. So no, I, I employ really clever people. Uh, simple fact, <laughs> these guys are much cleverer than me. I just listen to them and I know which one of their, 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 their thought track is one I can grab and turn into a nugget of gold. So have the right team around you that are constantly evaluating, listen to what they've got to say, discount 80% of it, take the 20% that you can really make work and then nail it. That, that's what I'd say in a concise moment. Do you do that with the customers as well? Like 
I mean, we, we tend to listen to a little bit wider customers thing. My, my product team would tend to go probably 60-40. There is 40% what comes our way we have to ignore because it it's crazy. Um, but it's very special to those guys. But there's a, there's a hardcore about 60% of what you're being told through customer success and product that is really, really gold. Gold dust is, is, is what forms the business. Okay. So now that you are on the other side of it, right? What advice would you give to yourself, your, your bootstrap self, now that you're, you're closing in on $100 million in revenue, you're earlier in the process, you're, you're bootstrapping, you're, you're sub $10 million, $10 million. What, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? Do the Series A two years earlier or maybe Really? Yeah, I'd have done wow. it earlier. That's oh. my, it's, 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 my, it's my only regret is not, me, not having met the guys from Highland before. Um, uh, and, and Highland reached out to us. So it was, it was great that, and should have met them before. But um, definitely wouldn't start with VC money. I don't think you really it, – it's great and there's a lot of clever people make, make billions of dollars out of it, but it's not the way that I work. I need to understand things before I take on any money. Mm-hmm. Um, but going in, that was probably – looking in hindsight, that was, that was one mistake. And the other one, if you're an international business, is move to America and make sure you corner the U.S. market before you go into other markets. Uh, we were late into the U.S. market, and, and it probably if we'd have come in, in a couple of years earlier, we'd have accelerated even quicker. It's, a, it's an amazing market here, uh, yeah. as I say. It's, and, and moving myself and bringing my wife over and, and, and really focusing on, on the market you know, is a, is, was, was a pivotal point in the business. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you shared some amazing things today and, uh, I love, I just love your perspective on it and your, your candor and just your journey is really, really interesting and fascinating. So, uh, we're up on time though. So where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Condeco? And then we'll wrap things up. Okay. Well, Condeco is www.condecosoftware.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Paul Statham, uh, and, uh, I've say you can contact me from through LinkedIn is the best way uh, or through the company. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your insights and sharing your wisdom. It was awesome having you on the show. And then I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Great. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.